morning, everyone. Great to see you this morning, and uh, if you're visiting us today, then you're really, really welcome to be with us, and hope you enjoy being with us. It's good to see you, and hi to everyone online as well. Hope you're doing well, and we enjoy the nice weather. Looking forward to our little picnic later, or yeah, in the park, that'd be nice. Now then, we're carrying on our series today, but I'm starting off with a little bit of a different story. So in the life of the early church, after Jesus had come into the world, uh, how he had, you know, lived and showed what God is like, shared the message of the kingdom of God, how he was killed on the cross, raised to life again, returned to heaven after uh, many days, and the news began to spread across the world, and people were sharing about the things that Jesus had done, and local churches were springing up right across the Roman Empire in different places, and these churches often faced persecution. In the Roman Empire, um, there was this idea that Caesar, the emperor, he was considered divine, the son of God. People would have to declare that Caesar is Lord. And it was written, uh, it would say on the like inscriptions of the coins, you know, divine Caesar, son of this or that. And this was more political than religious. But for Christians who believe that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is God, when they didn't take part in public declarations of Caesar as Lord, this could at times be dangerous and could get them in trouble. And, um, but then around 150 years or so after Jesus, a great plague swept across the Roman Empire. And it, was, uh, it makes COVID look like a walk in the park, okay, this plague. So in around 160 AD, when Emperor Marcus Aurelius was the, was the emperor, that's the emperor from Gladiator, not sure how much they bear resemblance, but there we go, and um, there was this plague called the Plague of Galen. Uh, Galen was like a great, um, he was known as like, he's like the Roman physician, very famous. Anyway, it estimates that about a quarter of the population died across the empire during this plague, more in some places than others. And then another like 90 or 100 years later, there was another plague like it in 250 AD, and this plague killed 5,000 a day. So it was, you know, really severe, isn't it? And people were so afraid during these plagues that when it would kind of hit a town or somewhere near them, that they would just run away. People would just flee. They would abandon loved ones and friends. If they knew that someone was sick, people were afraid to visit them. Sometimes they would throw people out of their own homes into the streets if someone in their own house caught it, and people were just running away, fleeing. Even the great uh, physician Galen, that the plague was named after because he recorded it, but he doesn't record many details because he ran away himself. When it hit his town, he ran away to the countrysides to get away from it rather than staying behind to treat people. So there was no clapping for the heroes back then, except for... The Christians, and there were reports of local churches and local Christians in their towns when a plague would hit, that they stayed behind to care for one another, but not only one another, to look after others in their towns who had been hit with this plague. And firstly, this meant that many more people survived than would have otherwise, because many people who'd caught this plague, they could have actually got, gotten over it. Some think it might have been smallpox, some th- people think it might have been measles, but they could have recovered from it had they just been looked after and given the essentials, plenty of water, plenty of food. Do you know what I mean? But because everyone was just abandoning one another, it made it a lot worse. But the people, when Christians stayed behind and cared for others, so number one, it increased the survival rate in these particular towns and areas. But then secondly, this was an incredible demonstration in the time and in the place of God's love for people. 
shown through the churches there and the reality of their belief that there is life after death, that it wasn't just a fanciful idea, but they had a real conviction that this life isn't it, and they didn't live with fear. Unlike their pagan neighbors, including Galen, who ran away out of fear because they had, didn't have that same concept, the Christians began to get this reputation for bravery and courage and love. And we see this again, like kind of documented a little bit later, under Emperor Julian. <laughs> now, this, this, is not, this is how he appears in Gladiator, but this is a, a bust of him, how he might have actually looked. And Galen, uh, sorry, uh, Julian, Emperor Julian, he hated the Christians, and he began to persecute them. And it was at a time where, you know, Christianity had really spread across the empire, and he wanted to kind of turn it back to the gods of old. And, um, and in a letter that he wrote to one of his priests in um, Galatia, he was complaining that they weren't looking after the poor, and, he, and they were making them look bad. And he said, the Galileans, that's the Christians, that's how he referred to them, the Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well. And everyone can see people lack aid from us. And so he tried to get his own pagan priests to copy what the churches were doing and to look after others. And Rodney Stark, who's a, a sociologist, he's passed away now, but he would study impacts of faith on society. And he wrote an article on this particular period, and he said this. He said, for something distinctive did come into the world with the development of Christianity, the linking of a highly social ethical code with religion. And he explains how there was always this idea that people could please the gods. You know, if they did something for the gods, they might, you know, get a good harvest or win a battle and that kind of thing. But the idea that God actually loves people and that God would give himself for people, would give of himself and sacrifice himself for people, and that just as God gave himself for others, that we are called to do something similar, not to win God's approval or try and like please the gods to get a good harvest or something, but out of response of his love for us that he showed first, as if we were doing it together, that when we love others, we show the love of God for them because God loves them as well. He says these were revolutionary ideas and brought long-lasting transformation. So I remember reading this article a few years ago, and what struck me about it was when you think about the people who've like impacted our world and brought a change in our world, in times gone past or in recent times, you know, for me, I think of like the Nobel Prize winners or like your amazing inventors, you know, your Steve Jobs, the smartphones, you know, people who create these amazing things, inventions and people in medicine and science. And you're like, wow, isn't it amazing what people can do? Uh, people, you know, the Time Magazine cover kind of people. And for the average one of us, we benefit from what they've done, but that, those are the things, they're out of our reach, aren't they? You know, we're not going to see ourselves, you know, on the front of Time Magazine or invited to the Nobel Prize or whatever. I mean, there may be someone here who will. Do you know what I mean? That'd be amazing. But for the average one of us. But here we see that there's something equally as powerful and important that's in the hands of every single one of us for making a difference. The simple act of showing love and kindness, and sometimes in courageous ways to those around us, makes a real difference in our world and can bring change and can bring transformation. And Sean last week, she talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000 and 
how he took a young boy's lunch and does this miracle of multiplication that feeds a whole crowd of people in a story that we have passed and we even know today. But for our lives in real ways, as we follow Jesus and seek to live for him in the daily things, in the small things, when we make that choice to love others or to show kindness, when we share our faith with someone, when we choose to have a good attitude in a difficult situation or we act with integrity, when we pray for someone in person or at home, when we seek to talk positively about others, when we share our appreciation of someone, that they're someone of value, not just because of what they do, but because of who they are, and we take that extra time to share our appreciation to what someone does or who they are, when we show generosity or hospitality, all these things may seem small, but in Jesus' hands, they can impact beyond what we might imagine or perceive or expect, whether that's in our family life, whether that's in our workplace, whether that's on our street, whether that's in our school or university, or even our whole community and beyond. And Sean last week shared some stories of our experience as a church and where we've done you know, small things and how God has had big impacts through what was you know, small beginnings. And Jesus, he gave a parable to kind of explain how the kingdom of God works in this way. And the kingdom of God is God's love and reign and his plans, his good plans for our world come into fruition and come into life and being present in our world. And that's what Jesus came to restore to our world. So anyway, Jesus said this, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What should I use to illustrate it? It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches and birds can make nests in its shade. And so for us today, as we hit September and we come into a new season, I know it feels like we've gone back to the start of summer, isn't it? But we've hit September and whether you're literally starting something new, there's some here today you are starting something new in the next weeks or so. It may be starting a new school, starting a new class, starting in college, starting university, maybe watching online and you've had your results recently and you come into Swansea and you're kind of having a little explore. Maybe you've got a new job coming up. Or maybe just in the natural, we're all going into this next part of the year together as we go from summer into autumn. Today, I really felt like God wanted to encourage us and remind us that there is great value, great value in living for Jesus in the everyday things right where we are. And it's really significant and it's really important and it's of great value to God. In Colossians, let's have a little, it says this. Paul, who featured in Mr. Biscuits, he wrote this to one of the churches that he'd traveled to. He says this, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wherever we are, whatever we do, we can do it for Jesus. We can do it with him and for him. Now, last week I was watching the World Championships and the Athletics. I don't know if anyone saw that. I love watching the Athletics. And I love it when, you know, when, in, when someone wins gold, this guy, Josh Kerr, he won gold medal for the first time. And when the interviewers would say to them, you know, they got their medal on their neck, they just come off the track and they say to them, what does it feel like to be world champion? <laughs> like, that must be amazing. Isn't it? What does it feel like to, you know, you're so, all of a sudden you're now champion of the world in something. I mean, that is amazing, isn't it? What does it feel like to be world champion? You can see them trying to, you know, take it all in. Wow, I am the world champion. And it's great to celebrate 
you know, big successes. And it's great to celebrate small successes as well, isn't it? I know, you know, many of our students and young people, they had their results recently, and they know they worked really hard, and it's great to celebrate those things, celebrate when things go well. But sometimes as well, it's good to remind ourselves not to undervalue the everyday things or the unseen things, the things that we never get a medal for or never get kind of cheered or celebrated or awarded in that way because they're the ordinary things, the unseen things, but in the kingdom of God, these are things of great value and sometimes of even greater value because of what God sees and the difference it makes. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? Effectively, like what is the purpose of life? What's the most important thing that we can do? What was his answer? To love God and to love people, to love our neighbor as ourself. Isn't that amazing? That's something we can all do, isn't it? And it's something of great value. And as we do this, sometimes we may see that impact. And we look back in, you know, over things, we think, wow, you know, I, we just did this and God did this. Isn't that amazing? Look at that impact. And sometimes we never will. Sometimes we won't see it. We won't perceive it. Or it goes on, you know, the, down the chain and we don't see it for ourselves or it happens down the line. But either way, it's of great value. Paul, again, he wrote this. He said, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So let's be encouraged to keep going and to love others, and to live for Jesus in the small things, in the everyday things, because they're of great value. He says this again, Paul, he's been busy this morning. He says, not, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And so maybe there's someone here today you really need to hear that today. I really feel that this is what God wants to encourage us with this morning, to keep going, to love others. It may be small, it may seem insignificant, but to go for it because it's of great value that God sees you, he knows you, he is with you, and he's working through you and us together to do great things. And maybe one day we'll look back and we'll be able to reflect on some of those things. And for those here this morning where you're starting something new in the next week or so, especially our young people, whether you're in yeah, college or a uh, new class or in uni or got a new job or something like that, I remember when I was 18 and I was going off to uni, someone gave me some advice, you know, about to meet all new people and going to live in a new house and, you know, it's all going to be brand new. They said to me, start as you mean to go on, start as you mean to go on. And they were just talking about to be yourself be open with your faith, be ready to share, be generous with it, open-handed in normal ways, but from day one, start as you mean to go on. And I remember in the first week of Freshers' Week, when there's all different events and stuff going on, there was these football trials for the university teams. So, you know, I went down, there's maybe a few hundred boys there, and it was like a really strange atmosphere because, you know, we were doing these trials and it was packed. But it was, the it was the current, like, first team who were hosting the trials. And so they were looking out for good players. But at the same time, you got the feeling they were aware that if there was a good player, they might take their spot. <laughs> so there was this really strange atmosphere. It was almost like hostile is too strong a word. But it was almost like defensive or, do you know what I mean? It was kind of weird. And so this was going on, you know, throughout the morning or whatever. And then 
after maybe an hour or so, the, the captain, the new first team captain, he called all of them in, everyone in together, got everyone to sat down. He gave like a little pep talk, as captains like to do. But as this guy began to speak, his kind of attitude, it just like cut through that atmosphere that was there before. He spoke positively. He didn't belittle. He was like welcoming, encouraging. He kind of made people excited about joining the university and being there. I noticed that he didn't swear. And as he was going on, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if this guy is a, as a Christian. He just, you know, we just really came with a different spirit, if you like. And then later on in the week, there was another event going on, and they were interviewing some of the like, you know, the big names on campus, the football captain and the society leaders and whatever. And he was one of them. And during the interview, I can't remember what the question was, but there was a moment where he he mentioned how he was a Christian and he was a part of a local church and kind of what that meant to him, just in a, a normal way as part of the interview. And I thought, oh, I knew it. <laughs> but that really inspired me. That really inspired me in my first week seeing him do that and how he was just living that out in a normal way for him. And then anyway, during that week, the Christian Union were putting on an event. So I thought, oh, you know, I'll go along and check it out. And this is my top tip if you're going to university. Sort your accommodation soon. Okay, I, I procrastinated and I sorted mine last minute and I ended up in a shared room. So I, I was in a shared room. I had a roommate, someone I'd never met before. <laughs> So anyway, I was going off to this thing. So I said to my roommate, who I now know for like two days, I was like, oh, you know, the Christian Union putting on an event. I'm going to, you know, go and check it out. Um, do you want to come with me? And he was like, yeah, sure. You know, why not? So he came along with me, went to this event. I can't remember really what they were doing, but as part of it, someone came up and shared about Jesus, how, you know, that God loves people. God wants relationship with us. He has a purpose for our lives. And sometimes we can find ourselves separated from that, but that's not what God wants. And so he came into the world himself as a man called Jesus. He showed people what God was like. He cared for people. He healed people. But the religious leaders, they became jealous of him. They had him arrested. They handed over him over to the Romans who crucified him on the cross. But when Jesus died, he took on all the, like, the broken, brokenness and the, the wrong in humanity that we recognize sometimes in ourselves, the things that we do wrong, but that we see across the world that we live with every day. And Jesus experienced that himself, an innocent man killed and murdered on the cross. But as Jesus did that, he took all that wrong onto himself. And when he died, he died for the, the wrongs of our world and where our world is separated from God. But because Jesus himself was God himself coming into the world, that death, death couldn't hold him. Jesus was full of life, and life conquered death. And Jesus came back to life again. And many people saw him, hundreds of people saw him, and he began to share about it. And people saw that he was alive. And after 40 days, he went back to heaven where he is now. And one day, Jesus is going to come back to our world, and he's going to bring heaven to earth. And all the wrong of our world, all the injustice that we see and that we feel and that we recognize, this isn't right, that's going to be dealt with, and that will be made new and whole and healed and restored, and we will be healed. And for any one of us who puts our trust in Jesus, that gift he gives to us, that he has won for us eternal life, that when we die, death is not the end, but that we go to heaven too, and when heaven comes to earth, we will be a part of that. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us. And so this guy who was speaking, he shared that, and then he invited anyone to, if they wanted to put their trust in Jesus for their lives and to apply that gift to themselves and receive it and know Jesus in their lives that they could. And my roommate, who I just met, he stood up and said, yeah, I'd like to do that for me. And he prayed a simple prayer to welcome Jesus into 
into his life. And then it turned out there was another Christian on our corridor, and they became really good mates, and they went to the same church together. And so for me, that just started off with a simple invitation. You know, I was trying to put that into practice, to start as you mean to go on. And so I just invited him along, and he came with me, and Jesus met with him. And so let me encourage you, if you're starting something new, to go for it and start as you mean to go on, and let's see what God does. Now then, in the last 10 minutes, don't worry, I'm going to do a little bit on our series that we've been looking at. It does link, I promise you. So this little parable here that Jesus told, which I mentioned very briefly, about the parable of the mustard seed, where Jesus says, you know, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, planted in the ground, grows into a big kind of plant. He compares the kingdom of God to it. This little parable comes in a series of parables that Jesus gave. It's recorded in Matthew and Mark as he's teaching from, can you guess it? From the boat. That's right, from the boat. Using the boat as like a platform and speaking to the crowds who've gathered on the shore It helps with the acoustics, and they could see him, and he didn't get squashed into the sea. Maybe the tide was coming in, like Caswell style. So anyway, it says this. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, and so he got into a boat, and then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form form of parables such as this one. Now, this little event in Jesus' life when he's telling these parables in the boat, this is one of our, this is one of the like defining stories of our In the Boat series. So this summer, we've been looking at all the stories where Jesus is in a boat or by a boat or basically a boat is mentioned. And the reason is because, if you haven't caught it already, is that Jesus was traveling all over and huge crowds came to see Jesus. Jesus was known for meeting with all different kinds of people, eating with people, spending time with people, all different types. But then, when Jesus would get into a boat, it's only ever the disciples who followed him into the boat. And the gospel authors are using the boat as like a little kind of marker for us as readers that when we see a boat story, it's to indicate that this is a story about discipleship. This is is what it looks like. These stories are showing us what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to live for him in our lives today. It's like being in the same boat with Jesus. What Jesus does we do because we're in the same boat. And the, so this event today is one of the like stories that kind of establishes this boat theme, that this is what the boat kind of can represent. Because Jesus would teach the crowds using parables, but then it tells us that later he explained the meaning of these parables to the disciples. And so all the crowd hear the parables and they're thinking about it, but then the disciples in the boat or, you know, after the boat, whatever, they get the little, so it shows the kind of the two things. So later on, it says this, Jesus used many stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. But afterwards, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. So why did Jesus use parables in this way? Why did he use parables with the crowd and stories for them to think about And then speak more plainly with the disciples later. And when it says the disciples, it's not just the 12, but it talks about all the kind of followers of Jesus. And out of that, there was the 12 who sometimes traveled with him kind of to special trips or whatever. So anyway, now partly in the culture, this was how teachers and rabbis would teach. They would use stories and parables. It would draw people in. It would get people to think for themselves and kind of understand and unpack it almost like in a deeper way. You know, like how a good teacher doesn't just tell you the answer, but they help you to kind of go on a journey of discovery for yourself so you learn it 
like how, not just what the answer is, but how to do it. So anyway, Jesus was a, it was a little bit like that. But also, Jesus' parables were more than just like nice little moral tales. You know, like Aesop's fables that you might have learned when you were little or in school, the boy that cried wolf or the um, rabbit and the hare, little kind of moral tales in neat little stories that are kind of transferable. Jesus' parables, they weren't like neat little moral tales. Jesus' parables were about himself and God's rescue plan for the world. They were explaining who Jesus was and what he had come to do and what was happening right there. It was almost like a commentary on what he was doing and what was happening and the response that he was getting and what was going to happen next. It was very, very specific. And so up to this point, Jesus had been traveling, healing the sick, talking about the kingdom of God, calling people to follow him. And he had all sorts of reactions. Huge crowds were coming. People had been healed. Some people were following. But by this time already, the religious leaders, not all of them, but many, had become hostile. And already at this early stage had decided they wanted to kill Jesus. So just before this, this is early on in Jesus' ministry, he healed a man's hand. And it says this, then the Pharisees went out and began, plot, and began to plot with the Herodians, that was a political party, how they might kill Jesus. And so already, you've got these people who are listening and watching and trying to trap Jesus and trying to get away to arrest him and have him killed. And of course, Jesus knew he was going to go to the cross, but there was things that he wanted to do first, and those things weren't finished. And so when Jesus spoke with parables, to those who had open hearts and were genuinely listening, it would draw them in closer it would get them to think, and it would draw them in, and it would reveal things to them. But for those who were just out to listen to his words, to try and listen for if he said the wrong thing, or something political, or something they could use against him, people were just trying to trap him, it would just sound like nonsense. I can imagine them coming back after listening to Jesus, reporting to the Herodians, and like, oh, so what did he say today? Did he say anything about Caesar? Did he say anything about this? It's like, well, he talked about a mustard seed, and a sheep that got lost, and and, uh, you know, oh, well, what are we going to do with that? <laughs> and so they were listening. And so Jesus kind of knew what he was doing. So after a parable, Jesus would often say this little saying. He would say, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Or if he was from Swansea, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So for us as well, when we read Jesus' parables and Jesus' words, we want to have ears to hear. We want to come with open hearts and allow the words of Jesus to stir our hearts and to stir our minds and to lead us and to allow us to think about what does it look like to live for Jesus today? What can the kingdom of God look like through us? Because that's who Jesus calls us to be and to join with him in bringing these things into our world. We want to be shaped and formed by his words. And so to wrap up this morning, I thought I'd read the first parable that Jesus gives in this kind of little series of parables, one of his most famous, and it's kind of talking about all the react, different reactions that he was getting at the time. And so let's just pray, and let's come to it with years to year, and just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us, and then maybe later on today or during the week, you might get a chance to chat about it, maybe in a small group or over lunch or whatever, and kind of think about it for our lives and what it's speaking to us today. So here we go. Lord, I just pray, would you come and speak to us now? We open our hearts and we thank you for all these uh, parables that Jesus told that were recorded for, uh, for us to read and discover today as well. And I pray, would you speak into our lives right now as we listen to this one together? 
Amen. Okay, here we go. So Jesus says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they sprouted, they grew, and they produced a crop that was 30 and 60 and even 100 times as much had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear, let them hear. So imagine now, okay, you're on the shore, maybe a tide's coming right there and your toes are dipping in the water. Jesus is there on the boat. You've come out to see him. You're interested in what he's got to say and you're kind of leaning in, listening. Okay, let me read it once more. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on the footpath and birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as has been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear, let them hear. So if I was listening to this now, and I'm there, some of the things I might be thinking was, why didn't the farmer plow the ground before he sowed the seed? You know, you've got rocky soil and you've got um, the thorns, you know, would you not work that first? And then, get the, you know, he just went out and sowed it generously, just went out and threw it everywhere. Um, I don't know, I'm not a farmer, so these are just things I think. Anyway, uh, but then that harvest, a hundred times fold, that's a pretty incredible yield, isn't it? A hundred times fold. I mean, 30, that's pretty good, but a hundred times fold, that's amazing. What the heck does that mean? What does that mean? So anyway, this may be what the disciples are thinking. So it says this. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. Then Jesus said to them, The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have Satan come and come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represent others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, and so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's words and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. Then Jesus asked them, Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. 
A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine, for everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear, let them hear. So two very quick things as I kind of, you might have your own kind of thoughts that God, the Holy Spirit is prompting in you, but these are kind of just two of mine for this week. So number one, when Jesus calls us to follow him, we see here how his heart is for real relationship, real long-lasting relationship, that accepting Jesus into our lives isn't like picking up a new hobby, that when then life gets busy, you kind of put it to one side, but it's real and it's living and it's ongoing, just like with close family and friends, how you stick by each other through thick and thin. And Adam this morning talked about loyalty, didn't he? And how God is so loyal and faithful to us and that we can be loyal and faithful in return and grow in our relationship with him across the whole of our lives. And sometimes that takes courage. Sometimes that takes sacrifice, but it's worth it, isn't it? Just like with any friendship, it's worth it. And it makes a real difference. It produces a crop 30, 60, 100 times fold. And when I hear about that saying about the soil, 100 times fold, I think, you know, so as we follow Jesus and allow his words to shape our lives and how we respond, Jesus says it produces a crop 100 times fold. Now, to me, that seems like, whoa, that's way beyond like what I can do, 100 times fold. That is like, Do you know what I mean? That's just enormous. How does that work? What does that look like? But something I never really connected before is the parable that Jesus immediately comes in with next, with the explanation, when he says this, would anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. And in Matthew, when he records Jesus saying this, he adds this little bit here where Jesus says, in the same way, Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And so the answer is a simple one, really, that as we live for Jesus openly and honestly, where we are day to day in the small things and all together as a church with what we do, like that mustard seed in that other parable planted in the soil, the smallest of seeds grows to the biggest of plants that Jesus does something in us and through us as we live out like that lamp shining in our ordinary ways, right where we are, the small things, it goes beyond us. And God does something with us and through us that has a great reach, that produces a crop to benefit others, to benefit our community, to benefit our families, to bring change to our world. It's Jesus that does it as we follow him in these simple ways. So let's be encouraged to go for it each day to pursue Jesus, to live for him in the small things because it makes a real difference. So why don't I pray to wrap us up. Father God, I thank you that you are with us each and every day. And I thank you for your amazing love for us and for our world. And I thank you, Jesus, that you came to rescue our world and you came to rescue us and you live with us now. And for any who are listening this morning and maybe as I was sharing about my friend, my roommate at uni who welcomed Jesus for the first time, and maybe as you've been listening and hearing the stories, you thought, you know, I don't know if I've said yes to what Jesus has done for my life, and I'd like to. I'd like to begin that relationship with him and to have him as part of my life and to learn more about him and follow him and to have eternal life and to be forgiven for the things I've done wrong and discover the plan that he has for me and to join in 
And you can do it by just saying a simple prayer, a simple prayer that says yes. And you could pray it with me now. You could say something like this. Jesus, thank you that you came into this world for me. I thank you that you gave your life on the cross and that you came back to life so I could be forgiven for the things I've done wrong and receive the gift of eternal life. And I welcome that into my life now. And I pray, would you forgive me? Would you be with me? Would you lead me in the things that you have for me and help me to discover the purpose that you have for my life? And I choose today to follow you and to discover those things. Would you come into my life now? Amen. Let me just pray for anyone who's starting something new this week or this month. Holy Spirit, I pray, would you come right now with your presence and your power, and I thank you that you're with us. I pray for everyone who's starting something new in this season, that you would empower them and strengthen them, that you give them courage and boldness and peace in their hearts as they go into that new field. And I pray, would you use them to bless others there? Would you help them to start as they mean to go on, that you would do great things with them and through them in this next season of their life. And I pray if there's any nerves or worries or anxieties, that you would come with your peace right now, that they would know that you are with them and for them. In Jesus' name, amen.